All right, what's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Clean Libertarian Podcast. And today I am joined by my very good friend, Kevin Hobby. How you doing, Kevin? I'm good, Drew. How are you, buddy? I'm doing well. Uh, so, Kevin, why don't you kind of tell us a little bit about who you are and how you're involved in the party? Uh, so, like, like Drew said, my name is Kevin Hobby. I'm the vice chair of the OKLP. I'm also the treasurer of the uh, newly reformed from the ashes Central Oklahoma um, LP, and um, been in the party for coming up on two years now. I'm running for re-election for my vice chair spot, and um, I'm just out here trying to spread liberty. I like to focus um, more of my efforts on converting progressives and Marxists and trying to get the rest of the party to buy into it because we're pretty heavily influenced by paleocons and neocons and Republicans who like to smoke weed. Um, so <laughs> I, uh, I tend to focus more on getting us away from that and kind of exposing a lot of the prejudice and bias that we have towards people that are coming from the left. Um, and not that that's necessarily like a bad thing or a death sentence. I just think that the majority of the party comes from the right. And uh, some of those old habits die hard. But we, um, if you look at the overall spectrum, I feel like we have more in common with progressives than we do with modern Republicans and most of the GOP. I would, uh, I would agree with you on that big time. Um, I myself, I came from the left, you know, hell, I was a Bernie bro back in 16 and um, not necessarily on board with everything he was, you know, spinning, but uh, the egalitarian approach kind of made it still sits, you know, pretty close to me, man. I'm all about like doing good for others. And, um, and I don't know, I, I don't know why it was that libertarian libertarianism reached out and grabbed me the way that it did, but it did. I, I think it's just because I've always had that kind of like fuck authority mentality <laughs> growing right. up with growing up with like listening to punk rock and, you know, rage against the machine and all of this and that. And so uh, it's kind of a natural thing for me to go with the party that is wanting less of that type of authority, but at the same time uh, wanting to see, you know, charity uh, continue forward and be a staple in a libertarian society is a very important thing for me. And so, um, and I think, you know, it's, it's good that you kind of mentioned it and it, it's weird that there is so much, you know, you see a lot of people in libertarian circles who will dismiss the bad parts of a red hat as being oh that's we can look past that because they agree with us on these couple of points but when it comes to the left my god those you know same same ratio of stuff we agree with and stuff we don't agree with and yet they are not to be reached or talked to you know and it doesn't make any sense to me i would i would argue that there's far less that we differentiate with most progressives especially most of the really progressive left like an AOC or a Omar or a Warren than we do with most of the right. Um, when you look at everything that they're for versus everything that we're for every outside of the basic economic model, um, 
we pretty much agree with them point for point. You know, we believe in holding companies accountable. We believe in um, most of the social justice causes. We believe in, um, you know, being socially liberal, um, free range of movement. So we're pretty much in line with them on immigration. Other than the economic model, that's it. And my argument is that if you're pushing libertarianism to its logical conclusion, you'll have a post-state world where you'll have multiple competing factions that choose to that choose to work in their own economic model you know and as long as they're choosing to freely participate in that it's really no business of ours um, one of the things that i see a lot of is that well you know socialists don't believe in property rights so we have to force them to believe in property rights because property rights are everything and my argument is i believe in property rights so much that i think people should be able to give up their property if they don't if they don't want to if they feel like they if they feel like they don't want that property and they would, would rather give it towards a collectivist group then they should be able to do that because it's their property and it's none of my business what they do with their property right right voluntary charity voluntary uh socialism i i, I can't take a stand against that as long as you're not trying to coerce or be violent with me on it you know i i don't I don't have a beef with you, man. I don't agree. You know, I don't agree with living that type of lifestyle, but who am I to, to, you know, take you to task over something that you hold dear and doesn't affect me in any way, shape or form uh, beyond seeing your dumbass takes online, <laughs> you know, right. some of the things. And, yeah. uh, and, you know, it's kind of like what we saw with the, uh, with the Portland protests. Okay. So knowing that I come from a punk rock background, like knowing like that's, well, I mean, God, man, I, I, I love the anti-authority shit and seeing a bunch of these like young, younger generation people like legit burning down a federal courthouse that it's hard to say they're all bad. <laughs> I'm sorry, but something along um, among them is, you know, that's, that is the correct targeted anger for the movement. And when the vans and stuff started to pull up and, and unmarked vehicles or, and they're throwing people who haven't been proven to do anything wrong besides being present at a protest, you see a lot of people on Liberty Twitter cheering it on. And it blows me away, man. It blows oh, yeah. me away. Well, I mean, we got our first glimpse at, you know, through the Operation Legendary, um, we got our first glimpse at a real life American Gestapo. And I, I was just baffled that we were a lot of the party was cheering on these things and saying, you know, like Austin Peterson, a lot of those, uh, paleo Eric July, you know, those guys were saying, well, you know, they're communists. That's they're Marxist. That's what they're going to get because that's what they want. And they should, you know, reap what they sow. And my argument about it is, you know, first they came for the communists. I mean, that's exactly what, what we've seen in every other country before, you know, right. you kind of ignore things that don't bother you and it eventually will lead to it happening to you. You know, you have to be, we have to be for liberty and freedom all the time for everybody, not just the people that we like, because if, if we're not that, then we're no better than the Dems or the Republicans. Right. We have to be that way all the time. We have to be principled and we have to take that stand even when it comes to like going back to the property rights thing, you know, and socialist, I, 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 the main argument that I see is, well, you know, eventually the socialists will expand. And my argument is you cannot deny somebody the freedom to do what they want for fear that that freedom could one day hurt other people. Because if you follow that logic, then we'll ban all the guns 
right up front because eventually somebody could get hurt with that gun. 100%, man. It's the same shitty logic, the exact same. Uh, and, and more so to say, you know, like the Muslim travel ban. My God, you know, let's, let's ban all the Muslims because they, there's, a, there's a chance that they could be radicalized. Like, what the fuck are we doing here, people? You know, like that's not, that, that wasn't okay then and it's not okay now just because it's the, the focus of the attack switched to the side that you don't necessarily like. And, um, you know, one of the glaring points, I, I think, and I made a, a tweet a while back, but, you know, the majority, I, I would say the overwhelming majority of these people who are self-professed Antifa, they are impressionable college age people who have every bit of possibility to change their mindset and to adopt principles of liberty so long as we're not threatening to throw them out of a fucking helicopter, you know, like there's right. Well, one of the things is that they're young people, you know, they, they're, they're young and they got piss and vinegar in their veins and they want to fight against something. Everybody wants to be a hero, you know, and the issue that we're having is um, because of we've let cultural Marxism happen. And our solution to that has just been like, Oh, well, fuck commies. Let's put commies in a wood chipper. And right. so they've already, if they've already self-identified as somebody with a collectivist type mentality, then, you know, you're basically just threatening them. And I feel like most libertarians don't have a good, they don't have a, a good debate or the ability to engage in civil discourse with somebody from the left there because they, they didn't come from there, you know, so they, they engage with people on the right, but they can't on the left and they do the, you know, commies and the wood chipper go burr and all those memes and that edgelord shit that you see you know you can look at my my tweet a couple of days ago where i said is there anything that libertarians hate more than other libertarians with different views and you had yeah. a couple of people that were like oh well libertarian like i don't hate other libertarians i just don't believe that any libertarian that doesn't believe exactly what i believe is a real libertarian because my libertarianism is the only real libertarianism and then 700 other comments of commies it's commies. We hate commies. And it's like, okay, that's cool. But, you know, since the implementation of cultural Marxism came out of the Frankfurt School, commies have been winning. And now you're seeing this huge shift. And so if you're, um, if you're going to draw that line in the sand and say, hey, we're going we're gonna to fight against anybody that has any type of collectivist view based solely on an economic model that really wouldn't come into play until much, much later in this dismantling of the state back, then, you know, you're kind of, you're missing out on this. You're missing out on that. You're missing out on these arguments and you just kind of get discounted. You know, we as libertarians are all the time thought of as selfish, ignorant fools. And, you know, you, you kind of fight that moniker, but then you've got, <clears throat> if you look around and you see it and you're just like, Oh, okay. Like, I've been very disheartened in the past, really the past week with the way that the party's going and that that worship of ultra conservative paleo conservatism and that that's the only real libertarians are those and you know lib socks aren't real libertarians and if you're not bottom bottom right on the quadrant then you're not a real libertarian and i think right. that that's the wrong mentality to have it's a great mentality to have if you want to win arguments online and lose elections but i don't feel i don't see the I don't see the value in being the most libertarian that ever libertarian 
in, when we're standing in the bread lines, you know, I mean, right. we can't, we can't be standing in the bread lines. Like my goal is to not be standing in the bread lines and tell people, well, at least those libertarian socialists, you know, we fought them because we didn't want them to call themselves libertarians. And it's like, right. we got a much bigger goal now, you know, like our kids will, our kids and our grandkids will ask us where we were as the economy was collapsing and the deficits were being driven up. And we can either say like, Hey, you know, we united with people that we felt like could win this and we lost, or we can say, well, we were really busy being the most libertarian libertarians to ever libertarian. Right. Right. Yeah. That's uh, it's, a fool's errand to believe that the little group of libertarians that we have currently in these circles are enough to, to conquer the system. It's just not. And um, I'm sorry, but I don't know of a single true to the term libertarian that became such by being screamed at and labeled a statist or a cuck or whatever else. Like it takes attraction right and that attraction comes in forms of discourse and one of the things that we suck at terribly as a movement is saying you know what i haven't thought of it that way you might be right i need to examine that my god it, it, nobody's really good i'm not going to say that it's mutually exclusive to the liberty movement but new information I, I look man i'm not a college guy you know i argue from a f philosophical standpoint on on pretty much everything involving libertarianism and so for me to sit here and think that i've learned it all i know it all it's just bullshit i i haven't you know i'm still learning and the fact of the matter is kevin is there's probably things that i have in my mentality and in my ethos today that will likely be different next year and so on and so forth, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. But screaming at these people, yelling at them uh, online, berating them, it, it's not doing us any kind of favors. Um, I don't know of anybody who is so far into their, into their, uh, you know, base that they can't look at some new information when it's presented the right way and change their mind on it, you know. Um, you and I both know that the economic model of communism or, or, or socialism is not uh, something that will prevail, not something that will work long term, and it's doomed to fail time and time and time again. However, you know, we can't just say that. It's not going to work. We can't keep showing mounds of dead bodies and being like this is what communism brings like we have to have this discussion and you have to have it in a civil manner right so i think the one thing that gave me hope over the last week or two was seeing austin peterson make a reference to hiroshima and being like oh this was acceptable i can't remember how, what it said but it drove me up the fucking wall man and uh yeah. Did you see that? I did. I did. Yeah. I had some people that were sending me, uh, sending me screenshots of it and being like, oh, okay, fuck this guy. And you know what sucks is I really like Austin, but I will tell you one, one positive from that. I mean, no, you go ahead. You tell your positive, then I'll tell mine. Well, oh, you're good. Uh, just my positive was that there's a lot of people who I never would have thought them break away from traditional lines when it comes to 
glorifying the sacred calves within the movement. And uh, a lot of people really said, you know what, fuck Austin, this is not okay. This is not good. And they walked away from that. So that was my positive. So I saw that positive. Um, that was, that was a good thing, especially because Austin is kind of in that Ron Paul, Rand Paul, Thomas Massey deal where like, they're not libertarians any more than AOC or Omar or Bernie, but they're kind of glorified within our movement. But one of the things that I, I want to give credit to Austin for is if you'll notice Austin and Todd Hagopian kind of, they went back and forth about it and then they had a poll and it came out like, I think it came out like 48, 52 or something like that of like if this was acceptable or not. And so Austin, you know, comes back and is like, Hey, like, you know, I realize that this view might be controversial. This is mine. However, this is not the only view and you shouldn't take it as gospel. And I think it was really big of him to do something like that. You wouldn't have a, a lot of people do it, especially more of the conservative right-wing people, but people like Austin, you know, they kind of go into this, like you said, sacred calf, this deity level where, you know, they're, they're kind of worshiped for this perceived cause that they have when in reality, they're, they're just Republicans, you know, and that's, that's all that they are. I mean, Austin was at one point a libertarian, but he's not anymore. So he's not any more libertarian than Bill Weld. And, uh, but Austin has that, you know, he's, he's in that, that Mises caucus ultra conservative group. And so a lot of people tend to, you know, they idolize him just like they do Massey or something like that. And, and my, my thing of, I've seen some people say like, well, you know, this perceived hate for the left, it's, it's not true. We, we hate the right. We hate the Republicans just as much as we do the left. And my argument to that is if you celebrated when Mike Shipley left the LP, but thought it was really cool that Josh Smith got endorsed by Ron Paul, you're the problem. Huh. Because Ron Paul is a Republican. He's not a libertarian. Mike Shipley left the party because he was berated for being too far left. And so if you're excited that Mike Shipley left, but you think it's the greatest thing ever that a candidate for the libertarian chair got endorsed by a Republican, you're part of the problem. I, I, I I love you. You know, I do. And I agree with that for the most part. However, I will say Mike Shipley uh, brings a lot of that shit on himself. That oh, he does. Dude he does. talks nonstop shit. And he brings up really fucked up points. But I do see what you're saying, though. Just at the base level, him identifying himself as a lip sock. I mean, it's just instantly people shut down. They don't well, want even- to. Yeah. Go ahead. Go. No, go ahead. Uh, but they shut down and they just – no discussion can happen from that point. So it just turns into an Olympic event of talking shit to each other. And Yeah. <laughs> Shipley, Shipley is probably the worst example of people from the left. I actually kind of feel bad because he kind of hijacked that bottom unity movement, and I love that message so much. And now that is becoming my message, but it's tainted because of him. Right. And, and I like my, I, on a personal level, I, I like Mike Shipley. I think he's a great guy. He's funny to talk to. I just, I don't buy into his points and his aggressiveness um, towards people because he is everything that I'm griping about people from the right doing. He is the exact same thing on the left. He's attacking anybody that is 
you know, not even right of center, but anybody that's right of him, and he is super far left. He's way farther left than I am. And uh, he's kind of the worst of that on that side. Um, I think that he gets a little bit more unwanted hate because he's kind of the only one, as far as I know, of like left-leaning libertarians, libsocks, that are hyper-aggressive like that. He's pretty much the only one. Whereas on the other side of the spectrum, you have a ton of people from the right that are hyper-aggressive like that. And so you kind of get numb to it. It's not as shocking. It's just like, oh, okay. Right. Uh, but at the end of the day, Shipley was still a libertarian after Ron Paul wasn't. So hmm. if you decided that he left the party, but thought it was cool that Josh got endorsed by a Republican, that's, that's the problem. The problem is that we're not, what we need to be doing is pushing both of those out. We need to be pushing the far left and the far right out and kind of taking our middle ground there. Because when you talk about, like, I see people talk all the time about libsocks aren't libertarians because, you know, the belief in personal property is fundamental. It's fundamental to libertarianism. And while I can see that, I find it strange that those people either are or are sympathetic towards pro-life libertarians because you're saying that all property is number one except for a woman's property of her own body. They don't have the rights because they were born with a, a uterus, right? So where's that logic come in? If a Libsock is not a libertarian, a pro-life libertarian is not a libertarian because neither of them believe in true self-ownership and true property. That is a interesting topic on that part, you know. Now, just for clarification, on the on the libertarian socialist spectrum, like personally – I'm all in if you want to have a commune and that's what you want to do. So long as you're not saying the property that I own somehow belongs to you because reasons, you know, and right. I, I think that that is actually probably kind of the same argument that goes into the pro-choice, pro-life uh, debate uh, to a certain degree. Um, I know I'm not even going to go into the abortion part. <laughs> that is such a fucking minefield, man. Oh, dude, it is. The uh, Rex Lawhorn has the single greatest quote about it. He, I, um, one of the first interactions that I had about with Rex was about the abortion thing during the first convention that I went to. And Rex stood up and he said, look, we can stand here and we can argue about this pro-life, pro-choice shit. I don't care what side you're on. You're wrong. And it's 100% emotional. Uh. Whatever you're making is a hundred percent emotional and you're wrong and i've just that always stuck with me and you know i love rex i have a huge amount of respect for rex we're on opposite sides on a lot of arguments but for me that was that was the one that summed it up like there's no reason for us to argue about this because it's emotional like i have my i'm ultra pro-choice just a radical pro-choice i have my reasons for that Somebody could be radically pro-life and they have their reasons for that. Right. However, the libertarian platform is pro-choice. So if you're going to hold everybody accountable to, that deviates from it in any way, then it doesn't matter what arguments you make. You know, it violates the NAP. It does this. It does that. If your, cate if your category for being a libertarian is does not deviate from the platform at all, then pro-life libertarians are not real libertarians. Right. 
it's black and white. If you want to make it gray, then we can have the gray. But you can't say it's only black and white based on these things, but we have a lot of gray over here because then that leans itself more towards conservatism because a lot of people, a lot of people on the right are pro-life. And that is just kind of remnants that's left over from that where you're sympathetic towards that viewpoint because you came here from there. Yeah. That's a, uh, and it's consequently, it's also the single most dividing thing. I would say that abortion has the, potential to divide more so than the whole Libsock ANCAP debate. Um, oh, I would agree with you 100%. I think that the Libsock ANCAP thing is, there just aren't a lot of them. There's just not a lot. Uh, there's a lot of ANCAPs, but there's not a lot of Libsocks. So to me, the, the point is kind of moot uh -huh. as far as if Libsocks are real libertarians or, or what is a real libertarian or any of that stuff. My point is that we can continue to get 3% of the vote by being super libertarian and watching the country clump, crumble around us. Or we can sacrifice in the short term to make a, a real difference in the long term. I just do not see, I, I do not see the point of holding all of this, all of these beliefs so true to heart. It's just like if, you know, like I'm avidly against not killing people. Right. But if someone came in and started killing my friends, I would probably kill that person. That's what's happening right now. And I'm, if, if I'm the LP, I'm sitting on the couch going, nope, nope, not going to kill them because I don't believe in that. I'm not going to break my principles. That's exactly what's happening. Where our, our deficit's going out of control, 2A rights are being attacked. The government is encroaching. The government is expanding rapidly. And we, we are more obsessed with being true libertarians in this philosophy than we are actually trying to turn it back. And if that's your goal, then that's cool. But you probably shouldn't be a part of a political party if your goal isn't to win elections and reduce the state. I agree. Um, I, I would also, to add on to that, man, it's not sacrificing. No principles are being given up by allowing somebody to hold a different mentality than you. Until somebody uh, violates the NAP, the NAP has not been violated. And I know a lot of people, or at least that I've seen here recently, want to talk shit about the NAP, but the NAP 100% is our that that is our core that is what we operate out from now there's nuance and there's you know lots of discussions that can happen from there but one of the core beliefs that we have is the principle of non-aggression and simply having a different mentality or espousing a different school of thought does not that's not aggression in any way shape or form we're not fucking thought police and to take that mentality and try to like force other people no you have to agree with me on everything and by god you better have read every rothbard book every mises book you better listen to every episode of tom woods and you know or else you're not allowed here like it's just insane to me it doesn't make any sense it's so anti-theatical to what we preach to other people on a regular basis um it, it, it it's it's self-defeating 100 percent self-defeating and it throughout this i've seen a couple of um 
a couple of like really great people stand up and start saying, Hey, yeah, this is fucked. We cannot be taking this approach with the left. You know, we need to give them their own opportunity to stand up and, and see that the state is not the right solution to the problems of the world. And so long as that's their approach, man, who do I care? You know, what do, what do I care that, that they uh, want to have some commune? Fuck, open up a co-op, you know, do your own thing, man. Let's, fine fine by me just don't force it on me and we're good right and and i see that i see the that that's the thing and one thing that i want to point out is you know libertarian socialist i've seen people say all the time libertarian socialist is an oxymoron well it's not any more of an oxymoron than like a libertarian capitalist because libertarianism is a free market capitalism is not a free market in capitalism you have to engage in capitalism that will not happen People will engage, people will barter, people will, there will be multiple economies on a micro and macro scale. And you can't say, we're going to force everybody to believe in capitalism all the time. So like, you know, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to charge my son to eat food at my house. So if I give that to him, I'm, I'm engaging in a socialist economic model right there. Very right. small. My socialism lends itself so well to young people because they've, grown up in a social in a socialist environment and so it makes sense to them at that point they haven't got to see how markets work and all of those things but you can't this belief that we can talk about how we're just going to leave people alone unless there is no unless right we're leaving people alone if they decide not to leave you alone then crush them or whatever you know right but you can't force your beliefs on anybody. And that includes an economic model. It, it just is. You can't draw the line at an economic model. There's just no way it, it's that cannot be our line in the sand. Our line in the sand needs to be, do you believe in using government as a means to gain control of people? Yes or no. Right. And then, you know, but when you're talking about like a voluntary co-op or voluntary commune or any of these things, and I know I can hear people that will be listening to this right now saying, well, it's never voluntary. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a voluntary society. These people that would voluntarily engage in, in this, you know? Right. Um, and there are voluntary societies. There Hell are yeah, there are. Communes, voluntary. I mean, and so th those exist. Um, but we as libertarians have got to accept that we may not like it there are things that i don't like that other people do and i don't give a shit like yeah. it doesn't matter their life you know whatever if it's not hurting if it's not hurting somebody that's incapable of defending themselves or me personally me or my loved ones personally sorry i'm i don't care i'm not getting involved in it i don't think that we should be able to limit somebody's freedom based on the assumption that 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 their freedom would eventually encroach on our freedom because if you follow that logic we're banning guns we're banning cars we're banning all of these things that could one day cause damage to somebody else it's that same status logic yeah it absolutely is man it's that minority report shit you know yes. um it's and it, it's I don't know. I, I don't know why we do that for, for one side, but we don't do it for the other because I mean, okay. So yes, yeah, so when we, when we 
uh, you know, try to finesse the neocons and the paleo conservatives, what the fuck does that result in? But massive wars, you know, uh, a police state that's just out of fucking control. Now, I I'm I remember a time when the Democrats at least pretended to be anti-war, you know, and that was my thing, man. I was all about that. And then, you know, Waco happened and blah, blah, blah. We don't need to get into all that. But both any time that you have a person or a group of people who see an organization as being capable of making other people carry out their own personal will, it's a fucking problem. No matter yeah. where they come from, if it's the right, if it's the left, I don't care. That's the mentality that needs to be broken. And to completely discount the left as not being capable of making the jump from where they're at currently to where we, we are right now, it's false. It's not real. I don't know how that has worked its way into the movement, but it has. And so that's yeah i'm glad that i'm glad that you're you're bringing up a lot of these points now um currently with the state of things what do you think is the best move forward as far as the libertarian party goes and reaching out to potential people on the left well i think that we need to not have a fit whenever our presidential candidate says that we should be anti-racist um, because that can somehow be construed to a Marxist term used in the late 30s by a very specific group. Um, we could start with that. But I think that one of the, one of the issues that we have is there's not, um, because we, have, we haven't won a lot of elections, we haven't really found the winning formula. And, you know, like history is written, written by the winners. So you have these different, if you look at other parties, like the Republicans or the Democrats, you know, they have a broad spectrum that they don't really mess with each other on. You've got your Tulsi Gabbards, your Cory Bookers, your Bernie Sanders on one side, and they're very different from one another. Right. And you have your Trumps, your Rand Pauls, your Thomas Masseys. They're all very different from one another. But they, they may attack each other a little bit, but they're not super, super vicious the way that we are within the party. And the reason for that is we haven't won a lot and until people start winning elections we're not gonna see any like right now if you're trying to convince somebody of hey this is my viewpoint and this is how we need to do this in order to win well until you have like data to back that up they're not gonna believe you because they think that their way is the way to win right and so once we start winning more elections and we start seeing that um, us within the party start seeing that hey this is the winning formula I may not agree with this totally but, you know, Larry Sharp, 80-20 or whatever. The reason why we're not having the 80-20 right now is because we're not winning elections. Once we start winning elections, the winners, the cream will kind of rise, you know? Yeah. And everybody else will kind of accept that and just go on. You'll have different factions within the party, but you'll have a winning formula. So I think winning elections, um, that, that's going to be one of our big things. Um, another thing that we have to do is, which we're doing a, a lot better now, I've noticed um, Spike has really made an impact on social media and being more like fun um, and showing that we're normal people. Because yeah, he's been awesome, of, man. Yeah, Spike's awesome, man. Yeah. He is, he's so great. He really is. Um, but showing that we're normal people 
I think that that's a really good move um, because they see, you know, us arguing about toaster licenses and naked people on C-SPAN and all of those things. And that's kind of their, you know, their impression of libertarians. So we need to professionalize ourselves. We need to win more elections and we need to work on kind of a cohesive viewpoint. And I think that until we do the first two, we're not going to see the third really happen because right now everything's just theoretical. We don't really know. Um, but data helps, you know, like you can come to somebody and you can say, well, I think that this is what needs to happen. And because we don't have any data to back it up, they can refute that immediately. But if you were to say like, Hey, Drew Cook became the governor of Oklahoma running on this platform. Okay. This is the platform we need to do. I see your data here, but we don't have any data right now. We've won a couple of city council races and like we're growing. I, I would say that we're working in the right direction, but we need to focus on candidate support. And one of the things that we really, really have to focus on is real world solutions to real world problems. Because when we say things like, when we have people from the left coming at us and saying like, well, you know, taxes support charities. And we say taxation is theft and people don't need charity because Darwinism and the free market will take care of them. We sound like lunatics. Yeah, we do. We have to have real solutions, real things. Um, one of the things that I'm working on right now is a, a written out thesis on a libertarian energy policy and environmental policy, because Ooh. right now belief that we would, that the free market will just handle everything. It's, it's not going to work. It may work. Um, but the issue is that if you're from the left and you're a super environmentalist, you automatically believe that corporations will just dump sludge into, you know, and frack water into ponds and they don't give a shit about anything, whether that's true or not. Um, so you have to come up, uh, we have to come up with a viewpoint from this. We did really well um, very recently with like Corey DeAngelos. Corey has done wonders for our, what a libertarian education program would look like. Um, he's changing the game as far as that goes. Rand Paul is even like adopting some of his viewpoints and is introducing bills to do that. I think that our next step is going to be some type of energy and environmental policy because right now the only energy and environmental policy out there is the new green deal and we right. have to have the opposite of that or we're going to lose simply because nobody else is talking about these things and they're things that people care about i agree i i am going to absolutely uh demand that you come back on to discuss that whenever you finish up that little project that is something that we absolutely need uh within the movement and and you know the the whole reason I started this podcast is because there's so many people who say, you know, legalize recreational cocaine, but there's no real substance or nuance to back that up. And so when you talk to somebody who has never even touched the stuff, you know, like they might have smoked one hit off a joint and hated it and never went back, you know, in their high school years. And now here they are at 50 years old. They're not going to jump on board with that idea. And so we have to take these, and it's fun to say, it's fun to say taxation is theft because it is. Uh, legalize all drugs. We should, um, you know, uh, abolish the Department of Education 100%, but we need to be providing nuance. We need to gradually lead people into this understanding that we have and into our perspective. It's not going to be a brute force attack that's going to get people to change their, their minds on it. Wouldn't you agree? No, no, I, I agree 100%. I also think that 
um, and this isn't a swipe at other libertarians, but I don't know that a lot of other libertarians have actual thoughts and plans about how this would look and implement. They just think that, oh, we're going to get elected and then we're going to snap our fingers and the state's not going to be there and then I can do whatever I want. Right. It's not going to happen. We have to have real world solutions for people. And, and if we don't, if we, if we just continue with these high points and these uh, theological ideas, it's, it's not ever going to work. We have to say, you know, we have to be able to say like Corey did, hey, private schools are great, but we're already getting charged these taxes. How about instead of the money going to the schools, it goes to the child and then the child can choose what schools they want to go to and they're not locked in by zip codes or anything like that. You know, take the amount of money that we have that we're spending right now and give it directly to the student. And then they can choose to go to a private school or a charter school or homeschool or whatever. And, you know, eventually you'll see that public schools are not as competitive with private schools because they, they get that funding. They, they have that funding guaranteed. You know, right. when you come, um, when I talk about like the new green deal, I'm like, Hey, it's bad. The new green deal is bad for multiple reasons. Well, why is it bad? Well, you know, well, once I come out, once I get this wrapped up, you'll be able to say, well, wind energy would be great. However, the only reason why companies are investing in it right now is because it costs $796,000 to build one, but they get $1.1 million from the government to build it. Right. If done for 150 years with no maintenance issues, it would produce $50,000 worth of electricity. It will never pay for itself. The, the market is not there for it. And so then you have to have these real solutions of, well, we can't just, you know, we can't just build a Dyson sphere tomorrow. We can't just put a nuclear reactor in every home tomorrow. The market has to be able to do these things. We have to pull funding from energy companies right now so that they're not so subsidized so that they can compete at, you know, the, the competition is, is what's going to drive it up. Um, as we continue to subsidize things, it, it's never going to work. We have got to, as far as, you know, um, if you want to look at oil and gas, um, we subsidized companies in the 70s to make their refineries capable of using the, the black tar sand oil from the Middle East because we didn't think that we had enough oil here. So the government created this problem. Now we learn that we have more oil than anywhere else in the world, but we can't use it because it's Pennsylvania grade or light sweet crude. And our refineries are not capable of utilizing it. So we're drilling oil now and selling it to Europe or China and then importing oil from Saudi Arabia. And it's like, it would make more sense if we just had a domestic market. Well, why, why, why don't we have a domestic market? Well, these refineries are subsidized in order to use this type of oil because our government was worried that we would run out of oil in the 70s. And so we did it based on like what we knew at the time. And it makes it almost impossible because if you're a refinery, then you're looking at it and you say, okay, you know, I'm making $17 billion a year and I'm getting an additional $2 billion in tax breaks for using this heavy crude, this heavy tar sand crude, but it's going to cost me $6 billion to be able to use this light sweet crude. And then I'm not going to get those tax breaks. Like, what are you going to do? You're going to make money because that's what corporations do. They make money. Corporations are not here to make us feel good about ourselves or to do the best solution for everybody. They're there to make money. And right. greed is good. And greed drives innovation. But what we have to do is 
we have to allow that greed and that competition to come out because if if we just pull everything off and let these oil companies go at one another, you're going to get more efficient drilling. You're going to get more efficient everything. Then you're going to see solar, you're going to see wind, you're going to see nuclear, you're going to see these other things kind of take off as companies are investing more in them because that's the future. And from an environmental standpoint right now, you know, we can say, oh, well, the free market will take care of it. You know, the free market will take care of these companies polluting. And the left's response to that is, well, no, no, because they pollute right now. And the only reason that they don't is because of these EPA fines. My argument oh. against, I, I see, I see where you're coming from. However, did you know that the EPA fines don't actually go to help people to help repair the damage that was done? They're literally just fines that are used to fund the government further. What if instead of, you know, I dump oil on Drew's land. So Drew calls the EPA, the EPA issues me a fine. And then I pay the fine to the EPA. And then I pay for Drew's cleanup. What if Drew could sue me in court for damage? And then Drew gets that money because that's not what happens right now. See that and, and they're in that exact, it, that, that same scenario is played out throughout the entire judicial system that we have um you break if i go and break into your shop okay let's say you have a shop downtown and i go break into it and steal all your shit uh if the cops find me with any of your stuff you know they're going to give it back to you but as far as the damages and whatnot the, i'm going to get fines and fees and court costs and that's all going to go directly back to the state and you're going to be left with nothing unless you have insurance and that's absolutely crazy it's right. insane that it's set up that way. And so, yeah, I don't know why that's the one size fit, fits all approach. But um, if we haven't realized by now that every single thing the government does is not to do anything except for expand and uh, serve itself, I don't know what will wake us up to that. You know? Right. Well, I mean, another thing is the, you know, we have to show people the rampant spending like we can talk about it you know and we talk about the one of the big issues that i feel like we we miss the mark on is when we talk about like 27 trillion dollars you know people trillion dollars in debt that's such a large number to most people that they have no idea they have no idea what that means they can't fathom how much money a trillion dollars is so it's kind of this abstract thought but um so you know i was i was a consultant before i had a consulting firm and I remember I was doing a job for the state of Oklahoma and they asked, uh, they came in and were like, Hey, we want you to bid this job. So I bid it and I bid it at the exact same rate that I charge major oil companies. I actually bid it about $50 more than what I had charged marathon oil just a couple of months before. And they came back and were like, Hey, you're going to get the bid because you're the cheapest. However, you're so cheap that we need you to bump it up 20% <laughs> because we have to spend at least this much. So you're telling me that Marathon Oil spends less money than the state of Oklahoma does for a consultant. That's than the insane. The state is allowed to. That is insane. So when, you put, when you put those numbers, when you're talking about ten thousand dollars instead of ten trillion dollars people can they can fathom it more 
And so I think that we need to focus more on like local government, like, hey, this is this, you know, maps spent, I think it's $1.13 million per mile or no per foot for that. Um, no, maybe it is per mile for that tranny, that tr uh, trough that runs through um, downtown OKC. Yeah. And they charge a dollar per person. I think the whole thing ended up costing like $9 million. They charge a dollar per person per ride. And I think they average like 80 riders a day. Yeah. So that thing is like, it's, it's going to take it 12 years to pay for itself before it's even profitable. Yeah. And that's if they have no maintenance. See, and the crazy part is, is that like, so for Oklahoma city, especially like the, the, amount of people who are forced to pay for that like that live on the outskirts who will never ever utilize that 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 is 100 percent a toy for the downtown area and for those who live in midtown oh yeah you know, and it serves specifically them and them alone uh, anyway yeah that's one of those talking about the damn <laughs> don't get me started on that damn thing along with the bridge that goes across i-40 but um so which one the 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 crazy ass sculpture sky oh oh yeah the 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 what is it called the scissor scissor, scissor tail yeah scissor, scissor tail yeah scissor tail oh yeah that thing's yeah yeah I feel like that was a great investment God God so much money spent on that damn thing yeah. and I, I get it man like let's let's give a facelift but at the same time it's like you look at how much was stolen uh from people in order to make that happen and it's just like jesus christ you know what I love the most is you know that that's the walkway to scissor tail park uh -huh. which is you haven't been there it's absolutely beautiful but here's the problem when they were looking at an area to do that to build scissor tail park uh -huh. they looked at but even if you like read through the documents, they looked at these specific areas and they picked this area because it was full of homeless people and they felt like they could doze all that down and then the homeless people would leave. So now you have this big, beautiful park full of homeless people because part of their dozing down was they took out part of the mission. So like part of the homeless shelter was reduced in order to build this park and now they're pissed because there's homeless people there. Yeah. We were there before. You came in and did this. Like, and now you're mad about it. It just doesn't make sense. Like, there's a lot of stuff that's illogical with that. But I remember. Do what? I, I said, I, I remember I was running Ready Mix at the time. And I, uh, whenever they were first building that park, and I went down there and uh, delivered a load. And they were like drilling piers for the. Uh, I think it was the stage, the performing stage they had there. And um, I, I told the contractor, I'm like, man, this is going to be an expensive homeless shelter. I hear it. And he's, he laughed and said, yeah, but I mean, we both knew, you yeah. know, we both knew what's going to happen. Yeah. And so like, that's another thing that we have got to, we as libertarians have got to come up with these real world solutions, homelessness, you know, um, all of these things we've got to come up as far as the future of the party, we have to come up with real tangible ideas and how we're going to do them and to just say oh well these things are bad because the government is there and if we get the government out of the way the market will provide that is such while that is probably true that is such a an abstract concept for most people that 
it doesn't work. We have got to be able to convey these thoughts in a, in a more concise manner and break it down because most people and just in general don't know the difference between Keynesian economics, you know, Austrian economics. They don't know what the difference between crony capitalism and capitalism is. They have no idea on these things. Most people have a really bad understanding of how markets and things like that work. And right. so you have to spoon feed it to them. But the issue that we're running into is on our side, we say, well, greed is good. Taxation is theft and the market will provide. And on the other side, what they're hearing from the progressives is, hey, let us help you. This is how we're going to help you. Right. And so we have to figure, we have to fix our messaging and we have got to come up with real solutions, real, real solutions to these things. And just saying taxation is theft, the market will provide, you know, kill your local pedophile today, all of those little phrases, <laughs> they are like we're, we're losing that front um, and we've got to do better. I, I believe that, that, that push against the, uh, against us kind of being on the side of the BLM is a huge mistake just because, and I know I talk about this in every interview I do, people get sick of it, but the Frankfurt school of thought where cultural Marxism was born, they theorized that if they attached themselves to civil movements, to movements, to help people on social issues, that's how they would do it. So that's why you have the civil rights movement was full of communists. The LGBTQ, full of communists. BLM, a Marxist organization, they've attached themselves to this. And so what you have is young people, like we said at the beginning, you know, full of piss and vinegar in their veins, and they're riled up about these social injustices and they're fighting these things. And they can't see how, okay, well, these movements are like, all of this is supported by these communist groups, these progressive groups. So that must automatically mean that if you're not like this, you don't support it. Huh. You see, and that's, uh, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. I think that's kind of like the, uh, goes back into, it, okay. In my in my personal belief, I think we need to also look at who is reachable and who isn't. Right? Let's take a look at who is able to receive this message and actually adopt it to their own life and who isn't. You are you have one group of people who are wholeheartedly pissed off at the system that we have set in place now, which I don't know about you, but I know I am as well. And that's exactly what led me to where I'm at right this second. And, you know, to dismiss them based upon their economic thought is just absolutely asinine. It's self-defeating. Um, yeah. Right. Well, the thing that we have to realize is that they, they don't, because of the way that cultural Marxism works, they don't actually understand the economic model. They just see that people that are attached to that economic model are attached to the same social issues that they support. So they feel like they automatically have to be a part of that you right know? and they're they're also they they confuse the term capitalism with cronyism and corporatism and you know when we say free markets they're thinking you know oh the free markets of reagan or the free markets of president x but no we we are legitimately discussing actual free markets 
you know, right. or you don't need a business license to practice. You don't need, uh, you know, there's not a minimum wage. There's, you know, and then that's another thing that you get into talking about and, and people want fight for 15. And then there's, there's a way to approach that topic without saying fuck the minimum wage and you're an idiot for wanting it. You know, yeah. If that's your argument, I don't think you even know what the fuck you're talking about at that point. You know, you've got to be able to back it up with substance. Right. And so, you know, you've got to be able to say like, hey, look to these Scandinavian countries. You know, people talk about like the Scandinavian socialist model. Scandinavian model is not socialist. That is right. a much freer market than what we have now. They have no minimum wage. They have very little regulations on their companies. But it, they also have a strong safety net that's supported by high taxes. That is not socialism. It's right. just not. They have a more capitalist market than we do by a lot. They just have decided as a group, hey, we're going to pay for, we're going to pay, I think it's 60% in taxes in order to support these social programs that we feel is, that we feel need to happen. And so that's what they have. So when you have Bernie talking about like going to a Scandinavian model, but he's also talking about democratic socialism, those aren't the same thing. Right. Um, it's just not. And I, I think that a lot of people don't have a, a really good understanding of economics. And so that's something that we're battling against too. But most people do not vote on economic issues. Generally speaking, most people vote on social issues, especially young people. And so that was, like I said, Frankfurt School. They attached themselves to social issues, progressive social issues, and they made it to where you cannot think about those things without thinking about progressivism. So like when you think of a progressive, what are they? Oh, well, they're socially liberal and fiscally liberal. Okay, cool. That's not necessarily true, though. Right. It's just the viewpoint. So they've been able to market themselves better than what we have. And, and we have got to work on that. We've got to work on supporting these groups and to say like, hey, we're not going to be, you know, anti-racist because it ties us to Marxism. Well, what we need to do is we need to tie being anti-racist to libertarianism. We don't need to fight against anti-racism on the basis that it's somehow related to, to communism or Marxism. We, we've got to change that. We've got to be we're the people that, you know, we were for gay rights long before the Democratic Party was, but their messaging is so much better than ours that nobody knows that. When we talk about Yang's UBI, the universal basic income, that's Milton Friedman's negative income tax that he was talking about in the 60s. Yeah. These yeah. are all libertarian ideas that we were not good at marketing, you know? And it's yeah. just like, uh, <clears throat> it's just like, um, do you know what, um, Oh, what is it called? Um, Maalox. You know what Maalox is? Yeah. Yeah, the first Oreo cookie. Wait, I'm thinking of the supplement. The I supplement. Think. What the hell am I thinking of, man? I guess I don't know what Maalox is. It's the first Oreo cookie? I think that's what it's called. Let me look up the name of it. But while you're doing that, I want to circle back around real quick to the uh, anti-racist. Did you hear the episode of uh, Part of the Problem with Dave Smith where he had Spike on and they discussed that? I didn't, no. I, Hydrox. Hydrox was the first Oreo cookie. 
and they had really bad marketing. And like 15 years later, Oreo was the generic version of Hydrox. And now nobody knows that Hydrox ever existed. Nabisco basically wiped them out. And that's what's happening to us. We're ahead of the game on a lot of these social issues, but our marketing is so shitty that we get wiped out later on. Damn. Anyway, what did Spike say? Oh, uh, damn, though. (laughs) That's a solid point you brought up. But um, there's a lot of points that got brought up back and forth. And I think that that debate is probably one of the better ones that I've heard on the topic. Um, neither side really 100% relented. It, it wasn't like there was an understanding, but you could see that there is so much more that we all agree on than we don't. And to try to railroad a campaign for one fucking tweet is stupid. It's so goddamn dumb. And uh, personally, I think if, if that's what made you not vote for Joe, you weren't about to vote for it to begin with, you know? Yeah. No. So. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I didn't vote for Joe, you know, I, uh-huh. I mean, he wasn't my candidate, but I support her now, you know, Spike wasn't my candidate, but I support him because that's, you know, they're still better than the other two. Right. You have, to, you can't, if somebody, if, if somebody is running for office and you agree with every one of their points, something's wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like you're, you're either not educated enough about it or they're not educated enough about it because you should never have a hundred percent aligned political beliefs with anybody, you know? Right. Um, There needs to be points where you guys connect and, you know, 80, 20 or 90, 10 or whatever that is. But like, if you 100% agree on every single point, there's something wrong. Like there's, there's not, it's like uh, relationships where like the, the boyfriend and girlfriend don't fight. They don't fight because somebody's lying. Hmm. That's funny. That's a good point, man. I think, and, and to further further what you said as evidence, anybody can look up the Oklahoma delegation's vote totals round after round. Neither neither Spike uh, nor Joe were our first go-to picks, but that's who we have, and so that's who we're going to support. Now, I, I will say I'm not the type to just vote Libertarian just because. No, there, the, I do have a line, and I believe that you do as well. And if that line is ever crossed, I'll absolutely drop my support for that ticket. But that has not come. Um, Admittedly, I will say that I think the anti-racist tweet was, in my mind, it was pandering. And it didn't seem like it did a whole lot of fucking good besides stir up a bunch of shit. But I can understand the sentiment. And it was more annoying than it was offensive to me. And it wasn't offensive at all, that, that is to say. So, uh, yeah, it's crazy, man. I would, I would argue that it, it definitely was pandering, but I think that we, we have got to pander. Like we're at a point right now where we have got to make compromises with other groups in order to win because there are not, you know, what is it nationally? Is there a million of us now? Shit, don't give me a line. I know there's 11,000 in the state of Oklahoma. And 11,000 in the state of Oklahoma. Yeah, so we can just go with Oklahoma. Yeah. If all of us lived in the same county, we couldn't – if all of us lived in – if all 11,000 of us lived in Oklahoma City, we couldn't win a seat. Hmm. It just wouldn't happen. If, right. if every single libertarian voted for every single libertarian candidate, we make up such a small percentage. 
The only way that we're going to win is by appealing to other sides. And if you've got to pander a little bit to do that, I'm okay with it. I don't understand the point of not pandering and sticking to your guns all the way through, all the way to the bread line. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, man. There has to be some give somewhere. And there has to be some give with the understanding that, okay, we just because I'm just going to allow somebody to exist doesn't mean I'm giving up on my own principle. You know what no. I mean? No, not at all. But, yeah. and you, you also have to, um, you know, it's kind of like the, it's the anti-hero thing, you know, like we've got to be willing to say, hey, this enemy that we're fighting right now is bigger than both of us and we can win and then we're going to deal with our shit. Yeah. hundred percent. I think you and I were talking earlier in the week, man, that we should really have a sit down at the next national convention on the Dallas Accord and include more than just the end caps into that. You know, hundred percent. Yeah. We need to talk about prioritizing our battle here. Uh, I, I have never felt, I have never one time in my felt in my life felt threatened by a college age kid wearing, uh, you know, a Shea Guevara shirt. Yeah, Shea Guevara shirt and doing all that shit. But I can tell you, every single time I'm around a cop, I always wonder. I always mm -hmm. wonder, am I going to get fucked with? Because if they run my name, I'm already like they're going to really make my day bad. You know, yeah. because I got a I got a history, you know, a background, and it's like. That to me is the most clear and present danger that I have in my life. Currently. Yeah, it's state. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I also think that like we really worship ANCAPs. But here's the thing about like, I love, I like, uh, you know, Paxton and Mike over at Mad Liberty, those guys are ANCAPs and I love them to death. However, right. here's the thing whether we like it or not, we're politicians, we're trying to win elections. Why are we focusing so much love on a group that doesn't vote? That part of their core belief is not voting. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point, man. That's a solid point. While you, meanwhile, you got the other ones who damn near got Bernie a nomination in 16, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. And I mean, it's just... To me, it blows my mind. I, I love my ANCAP brothers and sisters. I love them. I do. I argue and bicker and bitch with them all the time. You know, I love the minarchists. I love all of it. But I'm just saying, if we're focusing energy, why are we focusing on groups that do not vote, that part of their core philosophy is not to vote? I understand doing it from a <sighs> Kevin Hobby, I'm a person. I like you because, like, I, I believe a lot of what you believe, and I like you as a person. Kevin Hobby, the politician, is trying to win an election. The way you win an election is you get votes. I'm sorry, but you're not voting. If you don't vote, why are we focusing energy on you? Right. And that's I'm, – I'm right there with you, man. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense why we would spend so much time devoted to that. But at the same time, man, uh, I have I came into the Libertarian Party because of ANCAPs. Um, my my transition was somebody told me about the Libertarian Party and Libertarianism. It kind of piqued my interest, and literally, I went on to the Apple i uh, 
the iTunes store and looked at the podcasts and I found a, God, what was it called? I think it's called the Liberty Weekly Podcast. And I don't even listen to those guys anymore. But yeah, Liberty Weekly Podcast. I listened to them. They talked about uh, uh, Mance Raider. He's Pete Keone, free man beyond the wall. I started listening to him. He's straight up volunteerist, uh, agorist, ANCAP. And then it just kind of spiraled out from there and it landed me here. So there's enough parallels to I understand why they get discussed and why they get talked to and, and all of that. But I think the definitive point where this party is going to grow exponentially is whenever we realize that, okay, that same potential also lies on the left. And you're doing a lot of great work in that regard. And I can't thank you enough for it, man, because you stick to your guns. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate what you're doing too. We just got to, we've got to band together and we've got to keep up what we're doing because I, I think that this fight is a lot bigger than what people are realizing. A hundred percent, man. hundred percent. Well, that's going to about um, wrap it up. I, 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 everybody out there listening, whether you're an ANCAP, you're a Libsock, whether you're right in the center, it doesn't matter to me. I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you for listening. And Kevin, before we end the show, is there anything that you would like to plug or any announcements you want to make? Um, I, I made it at the beginning. I'm running for re-election for vice chair of Oklahoma. I'd really love um, your vote. I um, follow me on Twitter at Hobby Real. Um, obviously, you know, follow the Clean Libertarian podcast. Follow the Mad Liberty guys. Follow Corey D'Angelo's if you're not. Um, follow the Libertarian Armed Bear Caucus. All those guys. Love all those guys. Love them all. Follow Rex, Chad, everybody. Um, those are all my plugs, man. Absolutely. Those are good plugs indeed. Well, with that, we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Thanks again, Kevin. Love you, buddy. Love you too, man. All right.